Welcome to the Untitled Investment Talk, the podcast about all things digital assets. Welcome to this episode of the Untitled Investment Talk about non-fungible tokens, NFTs. Actually, this is not a complete show, but only an excerpt. We call it a crypto nugget. From a talk or of a talk, my co-host Simon and I had with Anthony Day. Anthony's blockchain partner at IBM, and next to his excellent overarching blockchain and crypto know-how, he understands the NFT space quite well. This crypto nugget deals with the golden question, what is the value of an NFT? How to determine the price of an NFT? My name is Carl Michael. If you like this part of our talk with Anthony, Check out Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts for the complete show and the episode on NFTs beyond the obvious. And now enjoy our crypto nugget on the value of NFTs. But let's move maybe back to the start of our conversation, right? So the, the B2C arts, collectible NFT space. If you look at this, I mean, there has been kind of cooling down a little bit on the price front, but do you think what you see there is pure speculation is this a big bubble which is going to burst or do you think let's say these valuations are kind of sustainable what's your view on this people are going to continue to pay six hundred thousand dollars for a jpeg of a rock um, or is that is that a price that is attainable at scale probably not right? what you can say is we're seeing the first evolution of democratized tokenization around art or democratized tokenization around digital collectibles or things of value. Whether that moves on to other incarnations, as I said, I think the important, the important next step is context for any NFT. What we have now is we have this sort of JPEG-based format where, you know, in some cases that JPEG isn't even embedded within the chain code. So it's, it's a link that goes out to another image or something that's held somewhere else. It might be on IPFS or on a decentralized file store. It might actually just be on a centralized file server that at some point may come down. Right? And that presents a massive risk to somebody's investment to an extent. Yes, you can still see the code. Yes, you can still see the original transfer at the beginning of it. And in some cases, that nostalgia or that retroness is the same as buying a pair of sneakers that's 50 years old or buying a car that used to belong to a celebrity. Right? The, the provenance is still value, valuable to some people who will value it. Right? Why does anybody pay a million dollars for a piece of art? It's purely down to the story, the romance, the provenance behind that, the rarity to some extent. Right? But is, a, is a, a piece of art worth 5 million versus 10 million is really just what someone's prepared to pay. And that's relative to their own valuation or maybe some expert's valuation of what that particular thing is worth. I see that, that the more we're able to embed provenance, interoperability, the use of those digital items in context across different platforms, whether that be social media or gaming or just our everyday life, I think that becomes much a bigger pie and then a more addressable market to more people more of the time. Right? People, the, the general public, unless you, know, you are using NFTs as an investment, probably aren't putting pictures of monkeys in their social media profiles or punks or whatever it is. That's just not something they do in the same way that most people on social media don't have laser eyes. It's, it's, a, it's quite a niche domain at the moment, 
But the more we're able to use digital authenticity, cross-border payment, the ability to trade seamlessly and instantly, and to have the code base from that token insertable into other experiences in the world, the more there's going to be engagement from people in those particular experiences. Right? Think about a digital item that was used or owned once by a particular content creator, a gamer, maybe a celebrity in the same way as the car example, right? that then gets used as you know, a, a winning item in an important esports challenge or that was worn on a virtual red carpet somewhere or in a concert. Right, an Ariana Grande dress that was one of one created by Dolce & Gabbana that was worn at a particular charity event and was auctioned off that you can then wear in your own social media experience in Decentraland or on Twitter or in some sort of other filter. That starts having more provenance, more interest, more history in the same ways you can buy you know, Don Johnson's car or Liz Hurley's dress collection. But you can proliferate that more people can participate in creating that content and more people who are fans can engage in buying that or speculating behind that and using that and having, in, in a sense, real value behind what it is they want to do with that digital item next. That, to me, is a bigger pie, not a bubble bursting. Clear. And I think that brings me to my next question and you partly answered it already. If we look at the prices of the board ape, my, my favorite one, I mentioned it, I think also our riddle and code, the panel is the 5809. This is a, a golden board ape. The value is now more than a million, right? CryptoPunks valuation have grown from 1 billion to 5.4 billion from July this year to October. So this is a five-fold increase, right? For Jack Dorsey's tweet, I think first tweet, they paid $2.9 million. So what are the factors behind these valuations? You mentioned a couple of them. Maybe can you elaborate a little bit on it? Then we can do it like in a gamified way. Maybe I'll put also some of my thoughts into it. What would you say the the most important factor when it comes to pricing of, or it comes to the valuation of an NFT. This is where I get into the, this is not investment advice. This isn't, this isn't strategic advice. This isn't even intelligent advice, probably for me at this point, because <laughs> if, if I, I would want somebody who's, whose job is valuation to kind of yeah. weigh in on this one, because I suspect there's a lot more factors than we're going to come up with. But to me, there's objective and subjective valuation. Right. Objective means that there is an opportunity cost or that there has been a cost of materials or a cost of production associated with it. Right. For an NFT, if you have to mint it on the Ethereum blockchain, the cost of minting is already $1,000. You obviously don't want to accept less than $1,000 for NFT or you shouldn't have minted it in the first place. Right. So, so this, this is kind of what sits in the base valuation. Right. And you know, anybody who sells an NFT for less than the cost of gas to be able to mint it is, is either assuming that they've got Maybe they've got a rider later on in terms of a resale. So they're, they're happy to invest the thousand up front if that thing goes to the moon and eventually pays them back a million later. Right? That becomes more interesting. The rest of it then really is how much is somebody prepared to pay? Right? If, if, if you've got a buoyant crypto market with lots of people having crypto funds available, that's part of it. What is the investment pooling? behind this, right? So if you look back at the Banksy NFT that sold for 60 plus million, that was actually a fractionalized fund, which actually wasn't one person paying 64 million. It was a collection of people all buying together. And so they own a tokenized share in an NFT. 
which I think is super cool, right? Illustration of fractionalization tokens on tokens, essentially. The rest of it then is, you know, what do you anticipate the future value of these things to be? The challenge there is, how do you objective, objectively evaluate that? Right? How do you know how many tokens there are going to be? You know there's only ever going to be 10,000 bored apes or you know, that there are only ever the same 10,000 CryptoPunks. But how do you value a CryptoPunk versus a CryptoKitty versus something else that may exist that may be more interesting later on? That becomes the valuator's challenge. And in reality, it comes down to market forces. If the crypto market took a hit and went down to one-tenth of its current valuation tomorrow, I reckon you'd see a knock-on effect in the price and valuation of NFTs should someone choose to sell them. I think it's a really difficult space to analyze objectively in the same way you can argue that the price or the volatility of crypto is very, very difficult to evaluate objectively. I 100% agree with you. And I think respect to valuation, we have to kind of decouple the intrinsic value of the art piece and the value of Ethereum. Let me go through five or six factors that you just tell me if you think personally they are relevant for the value of an, of an NFT. Is it important on which chain the NFT is minted? So yes, Ethereum... No. I will say on that one. Yeah. Yes, because if you've got to believe that that item is going to exist in perpetuity, and if it's minted on a blockchain or on a platform where there is a risk that that content isn't going to survive or that that chain may not be maintained or supported, that becomes a challenge. Absolutely um, agree. I do it now in a, in, a, in a fast track. NFT metadata on-chain or off-chain, does it make a difference? It depends. I'm going to answer on that one. On-chain, I think, is super helpful. It's not always possible to put that high volume data on-chain or it becomes very expensive to do so. What you've got to then look at is what's the tech stack that you're using to have the linked content remain in perpetuity. Okay. The creator and the community, I think you already mentioned this. Scarcity? Always a factor, right? Something that is, is less available would typically be valued higher. So yeah, I'd say so. People may buy into the idea of artificial scarcity to some extent. For fungible tokens, for example, everybody says that there's a limited run on Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is divisible. So it's it's, it's a bit hmm. of a, a bit of an inf inflationary statement in a deflationary in an inflationary cryptocurrency. Anyway, yes. <laughs> Release pace. So how many NFTs? So even uh, independent of scarcity, I mean, you have a thousand NFTs. If they are released within a day, a week, or a year, does this make a difference? Oh, that's a good one. I want to believe that the release mechanism or the approach does. And this is one that there are lots of mechanics. Take uh, Keir's example with Souls. He's looking at creating a, a mechanic where the value of minting or the cost of minting, sorry, increases over time. So early adopters are rewarded for, with lower costs. Late adopters are, are not penalized, but participation becomes more expensive the later you get in. Similar with investments in, in startups or in businesses, right? So you can build around mechanics that deliberately create that. I, I think that's a fascinating space to look at. Cool. Richness. So how many kind of additional features do NFTs have uh, become 3D, become from static to moving picture? They have additional audio. Does it affect price? Less important for me, because I think you're still going to see the original low fidelity punks and so on still be valued because they're older, they're scarce, you know, the same way that, you know, buying Michael Jordan's television from 1980 versus buying the Mona Lisa, 
you're not really comparing apples and apples. So I don't know where I got that analogy from, but you know, <laughs> again, it will it will be in the eye of the beholder to some extent. Let me make a last point here on this. I, in preparation for this podcast, I found or researched a brand new study from a team of scientists from UK, Denmark, Italy, US. Uh, it, it's and, and I can recommend it to to all our listeners. It's called Mapping the NFT Revolution, Market Trends, Trade Networks, and Visual Features. So these are scientists. They analyzed more than 6 million trades of 4.7 million NFTs from, I think, June 2017 to April 21. And what they found out, and I think that's especially compelling, is that two factors in their regression or AI analysis, they, they did machine learning analysis, they did there, is that sales history and visual features are good predictors uh, of price. So price correlates strongly with the medium price of the NFT sold within the same category, right? So if you are in a board ape category, obviously, if a new board ape is launched, that's um, a value indicator. But not even only this, if you then build another ape, right, this also drives valuation. And there are also visual features which play a role there. I will not go into every detail, but I think that that's a recommendation to, to our listeners to have a look at it. So I think there is a huge subjective part and there's a supply and demand part, but there are some factors which we discussed now, which give investors at least a hint, kind of objective factors on finding the, the right or the proper valuation of an NFT if they want to, want to buy it. Yeah, I'd argue the, the features one is objective. The reference pricing is highly subjective because the component factors of setting that pricing could be the platform, could be social media, could be pump and dump. It could be that it's been endorsed by celebrities or not. There's a huge amount that goes into that. A ref reference pricing, I think, from a human behavior perspective, yes, absolutely, right? Saying, well, this one sold for this much, so I'm not going to sell. But actually, a value-based pricing on that same artifact might lead you to a much, much higher price or a much, much lower price. So the ability for the platforms to affect or for people who have a stake in the platforms or the content to modify or manipulate that price to then as a result have a greater impact. Quite difficult to model, but something that people need to consider. So Anthony, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, yeah, definitely to all our listeners, check out Anthony's podcast, Blockchain Won't Save the World. Anthony, anything you would like to say or share with our listeners? I want to thank you guys for some great questions. This was a, a really thoughtful jaunt around the world of NFTs. Please do remember out there that NFTs is much, much more as a technology capability than just pictures of monkeys that are available on a MetaMask wallet. There's so much more we can do with this technology that we've been able to do for years and years and years, but somehow the institutional memory has failed us and we've forgotten a bunch of those other great use cases around tokenization that do have genuine, really interesting, fantastic real world value. Shout out to all the people out there pushing the boundaries around tokenization, around digital fashion, around augmented experiences, around interoperability and platforms. There's so much great stuff going on. Anybody wants to reach out to me, please feel free to connect on LinkedIn. Check out the podcast. We've got loads and loads of content in there around enterprise use cases, institutional use cases, and a little bit of a roast around NFTs too. So I got a few friends together and we went through some of the worst examples of NFTs that we thought were out there that have the least viable models or that are the most ridiculous. So go check out the roast as well. And Simon, Carmichael, thank you to the both of you for making this happen.
So thank you so much for being here with us today. Also, Carl Michael, thank you so much for being my co-host. And now wait for the next episode. Stay loyal, stay hungry, stay tuned to the Untitled Investment Talk, the podcast about all things digital assets. Thank you.